Welcome to Sunday School. We're covering the book of Hebrews. We're into the tail end of chapter 1 and beginnings into chapter 2. The theme, of course, is Jesus is better, and that's basically an outline of what we're going to be going through. And uh, we came up with some, some silly examples. The first example we wanted to use was, what if you changed one of the rules in baseball, and number six is the rule you would change, right? Just don't forget, don't read one through five, just go to six, okay? What if the, any, what if the first baseman could pick up the bag as soon as the ball is hit? Now, you're on our softball team, what would that do for you? Uh, it wouldn't end well. <laughs> it wouldn't end well. Well, there you go. It would be a whole new ball game. <laughs> and the runner couldn't get to first base. The point of that is, the book of Hebrews is written to a specific audience, very new believing Jews. And saved as an adult, you bring up all those things you've learned before you're saved. And what, what have they learned? The law. And so the Hebrews is written to explain that Jesus is a better way. Salvation is better than the law. And uh, I brought this up last week because of another situation, and that is, those are not even the current slides. This is going to get really interesting. This is going to get really, really interesting. Uh, we talked about change and what happens if something does get changed, and hopefully for the better, right? Well, I don't know that we can change the, rule, the, the game of baseball. And I brought this up last week because I asked, uh, Sean gave me the answer. I said, uh, what if they took the phrase, one nation under God out of the pledge, or if they took the whole pledge completely off. And Sean said, well, I wouldn't feel too very good about it. Uh, and so I brought this up, and I'm going to, the, the current slides, these are not the current slides, so I'm, like I said, this is going to be interesting. There is a video out on YouTube. Just Google YouTube Red Skelton Pledge of Allegiance. It's four and a half minutes. And I'm going to ask you to give me four and a half minutes, and then once you've seen it, I'm going to ask you for another four and a half as you show it to your grandkids or if you email it to somebody. Because what that four and a half minutes does, it explains the Pledge of Allegiance the way we learned the Pledge of Allegiance in terms of its meaning. The words are the same. And I think that would be a real uh, good edifying experience. So. Jesus, faith in Jesus is the new way. We talked about the word all in scripture, in Hebrews. We talked about the word, the phrase once for all. And I suggested that you put in your Bibles, better all, all in one, write it in the first chapter of Hebrews so that when you read it and get again, you can see those words jumping out at you. So Jesus is better than the angels. And we talk about his name and there are certain names there. I'll just fill the screen. Uh, Michael was one of the angels that was named, and that means who is uh, no one like God, but Jesus is God. And you can go through each of those names. Gabriel, was, his name means a godly man, but Jesus is the God-man. Lucifer was the light-bearer, but Jesus is the light. So he's better than the angels by way of his name. Here are some names that, uh, that Jesus is being called, and I want... Get this next paragraph and you'll get the whole class. Jesus 
is God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. When Jesus was begotten, it's a key word, when Jesus was begotten, he became in the manhood lower than the angels. Just like we right now are lower than the angels. When Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, he became greater than the angels. So ultimately, we're going to build up this hierarchy. Jesus, angels, man, the rest of creation. So the first transition of changing the hierarchy was Jesus in the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. The second transition is the moment that we are saved. When we are saved, we're given a position greater than the angels. We don't have that position yet because, you know, I'm still here in this carcass. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, and we'll be getting to that. So that's the whole class. We still have 42 minutes. This is where we left off last week. The word angel appears a lot of times in the Bible. There are a lot of angels, and you can see that thousands upon thousands. There are powerful angels, and one angel, one night, killed 185,000 Assyrians. Imagine if Jesus, during his passion, said, I can't take it, God, call in the angels. If one could do in 185,000, how many do you think a thousand upon thousands will, give, will, will take care of? A lot. Their place, the angel's place is around the throne, but Jesus' place is on the throne. So there again, you see the thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000. So 10,000 times 10,000 is a million. So there are a lot of angels. Now, there's a real interesting word up there. So he became as, as, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited. What's that word inherited mean? You get it from your ancestors. When do you get it? When they, take, when they die. That's the word I was looking for. Inheritance is something you get when the testator dies. In most situations, it's mom or dad or both die, and then the kids, my will says, share and share alike. It's up them to figure out what that means. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. He went from the babe in the, in the manger, the 12-year-old at the temple, the three years of ministry, the passion, death, burial, resurrection, the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness. So, there's the definition. Something you get when somebody else dies. Well, who died for Jesus to have an inheritance? His father didn't die. When my dad died, I got a ring and lots of great memories. But my father died. Jesus' father didn't die. Who died? Jesus died. That's exactly right. This is the one and only time where somebody can inherit something from himself. All right? 
So upon his inheritance, his name became greater than the angels. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to that verse again. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. King James says the earnest of our inheritance. I don't know if they still use that word in real estate, but when you sign a, a contract, you give earnest money or a down payment, which is a promise that the rest of the money is going to come. So, he's better than the angels in terms of his name. He's better than the angels in terms of his sonship. For which of the angels did God say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Now, I'm going to stress that word begotten for some key reasons. And the King James Version answers that question, when today? Because the other one says, I have become your father. Well, we always think in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're talking about the man side of Jesus, the Jesus side of Jesus. He became a son when he was begotten. So begotten also tells us when life begins, right? It doesn't begin month three or month nine. It begins at that moment. Begotten. What is the big deal? You say, John, you always keep going. I would, I would always go back to the King James. There are some things in the King James I read and I say, what does that mean? And so I, I bounce back and forth. Sons of God. Jesus is called a son of God. So who else are the sons and what makes him different? The begotten is what makes him different. Angels are sons of God. You can see that. The demons and Satan are sons of God. You can see that. Humans are considered the sons of God. But Jesus became the only begotten son. So if you read John 3.16 in the NIV version, you see one and only son, I can say, well, look up above. The angels, the devils, we're all sons of God. Better in terms of the name, better in terms of his sonship, and the angels worship him. The angels serve him, and he reigns forever. Those numbers, by the way, are the verses that we're covering right now. And he reigns forever. Who else reigns? Well, right now, the devil's called the prince and the power of the air. But when Jesus comes back, the Bible says that we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We will be reigning. Will the R-E-I-G-N, not reign. We will be reigning. Angels won't be reigning. So the hierarchy, Christ, angels, man, the rest of creation. So here's Psalm 8. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Pause. And crowned them with glory and honor. I didn't get a crown. I didn't get eligible for a future crown until the moment I was saved. 
the book of he the book of Romans talked about us, talks about us as being adopted sons. And then that particular psalm starts and ends with the same verse. Bouncing back to verse two, Jesus was the executor, if you will, the, the doer. And again, when God says, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, the reason I have that verse up there is I want to, I want to define who he is. You know, if, if we went through all the verses, we can go back and find it. I want to define who he is, and I want to define who the son is in these coming verses. The son is the you. The father is the me. In the beginning, the Lord, you, talking about Jesus, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, making way for the new heaven and a new earth. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. The theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. They use that word better. I will change that to say Jesus is best. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The Alpha and the Omega. So now here's an interesting verse. Who here has seen that painting sometime before? Lots of people have, okay. And we talk about guardian angels. There are guardian angels. Look at that verse. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now, there are a couple things I want to point out here. If we were studying just angels, we could spend a long, long time talking about angels. But there are a couple things I want to point out here. You see those wings? Angels have appeared without wings. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we could be entertaining angels unawares. Well, if somebody walked in my house with a pair of wings on, I would be aware. There are other angels where they have six wings. And you think about the seraphim and the cherubim. So it's a great picture, something to think about. The second thing I want to point out is the hair and the face seem to be female. Now, you've probably heard somebody say that all angels are male. Well, the angels that were sent by name were male, and our translation came when we didn't have to say he, she every time you use a third person uh, pronoun. So the ones mentioned were male, but nowhere does the Bible say all angels are male. It's not there. We must pay more attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Who is the we? Who's the audience of this book originally? Saved Jews, okay? So he's saying, we the saved Jews must pay more attention so that we the saved Jews do not drift away. Now that word drift away, if, um, imagine a lake, I don't want to say river because then there's, then there's current, a lake or down at the bay and you have a pier. Now, what are you supposed to do when you park your, or moor your boat and go into the house? What are you supposed to do first? Tie the boat down. And what happens over time if it's not tied down? It slowly but surely drifts away. 
That's exactly what Paul is trying to say here. We need to nail it. We need to nail our faith. We need to be firm in our faith or what's going to happen over time? What are the Jews used to? The law. How many times in the New Testament do you read about the Judaizers, ones who want to add law back on top of salvation? So we must pay closer attention so that we do not drift away. What have, what have we, the saved Jews, heard? Two things. They heard the law, and they heard salvation. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. They heard them both because the audience is saved Jews. For if the message spoken by angels was binding... now. If you haven't seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you owe it to yourself to see The Ten Commandments. And the one scene when the law is being given, you know, the, the sound goes dun, 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 and Charlton Heston, what a beautiful face he has, the nice squarish forehead. You know, thou, thou, I am the Lord thy God. It was given by angels. Now, God spoke. He spoke so much that the people said, Moses, let God just talk to you and you tell us, because otherwise we're going to die. It came by the angels, because they're ministering servants. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Now, there is a primary audience, as I mentioned last week, and there's a secondary audience. The book is held in place for us to learn. The book is held in place for Everybody, lots of people to earn, learn. So what happens if you ignore salvation? Two answers. If you're lost, what happens? Okay, if you're lost, I'll come back to that. I want to make the point about mediators. Okay, so... Salvation was announced by the Lord, confirmed by the apostles, testified. How shall we ignore, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The lost will be damned. The saved will not escape chastening. Hebrews 12 says, the Lord disciplines the one he, ones he loves and, the, and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son and a loss of rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And at that point, it begins in the book of Ephesians. The Bible says, he presents to himself the church spotless and without blemish. Now, once I've been presented, there are opportunity for crowns, five different kinds of crowns. And everybody is eligible for at least one of them. The Bible says that you build your works upon the foundation. There's no other foundation except the foundation of Jesus Christ. But if you, what you've built is gold, silver, precious stones, you have a crown to look forward to. But if it's hay, wood, and stubble, the Bible says that you'll be saved, but like escaping a fire. Now here's Eric. If you got to, to greet him, I'm, I'm sorry, Eric and Carolyn knew the Sunday school, all right? Their house just burned. And I don't know any of the details other than 
your hands are like baby skin because he had his hands burnt really, really badly. But my guess is that you lost some personal property in that fire. Okay? That's the point of the judgment seat. They're still here to, to share with us, but they lost a lot of stuff. That's the point of those crowns. Jesus has things in common with Christians. First, and the verse that brings us to that is, we are brothers in every way. First, we have a common humanity. We already read from Psalm 8, and it, it reappears in uh, chapter 2. We're now into chapter 2. We have, we're going to have common crowns. Now, the difference between Jesus' crown and my crown is this. The word for crown for Jesus is diadem. And we use that word in one of our hymns, okay? The word for the crown that we get is called Stephanos. Come from the name Stephen, crowned. And it's more like the, the laurel that you would give somebody who's winning the ancient Olympics. We have a common crown, different timing. Notice that we get the crowns, the angels don't. We have a common family. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now a lot of times we talk about what happens to the person that's backslidden and what's going to be his final determination, a saved person's background. Book of Timothy, one of the Timothy epistles, I can't remember which one anymore, I'll bet on 2 Timothy, says... If we have faith, Jesus will not deny himself. And we are hid in Christ. Common heritage. For surety is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Well, I don't know if I've got any Jewish in my bloodline. I will tell you, I can go as far back as my grandparents. All four of my grandparents came from the same village in what's now called the Slovak Republic. And if there was any blood above that, I've got no clue. But we're talking about a spiritual seed. The book of Galatians says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that we, through Jesus Christ, I can't read anymore. He, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So we have a common heritage. Jesus was a Jew. In fact, the first generation of Christians, they were considered a sect of the Jews. And the word Christian didn't come up for several years later when the Bible tells us that in Antioch they were first called Christians. So we have a common temptation, but we're not common in sin. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Empathy is an interesting word. Now, I will tell you, if I got cancer, I will not have to search out a doctor who has survived cancer. I don't need that. 
I need a doctor that knows what he's doing. But let's take a different situation. Here's a lady who just became a widow. Right? Now, what words do we say? Sorry for your loss. Here's a lady who's been a widow. How do you think she's going to greet this lady the first time she sees her? Hug? Quiet hold? I love you? Totally different than the empathy that I could show because I did not have that experience. So Jesus is common with us because he had the experience of temptation, yet without sin. Now we're going to get after a couple weeks to the notion of his high priest and the notion of a new covenant, but let's go on. Ooh, that was from last week. That's the end of the slides in this 927. So it's time for improvisation because those were not the current slides. The book of Hebrews begins, Jesus is better, he's superior. And what's interesting is the word Jesus doesn't even appear in the book of Hebrews until the tail end of chapter 2. Paul is warming up those people, not the ones that believe, not that original audience, because they already accepted Jesus. He's going, to be start, he's going to start downplaying the change of the rules, if you will. He's going to be downplaying all the things that the Jewish people held close to their hearts, all the things that they studied. He started by saying, he's better than the prophets. The prophets didn't know exactly what they were writing down. Peter tells us that holy men were, mo were, holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they, spake, as they spoke. It was written down. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. That's what we covered today. He's better than Moses. Now, what is the one attribute that in Jesus' autobiography, something he said of himself, what is the one attribute that he gave himself? I am... I am and lowly of heart. Meek. I am meek. That's the only attribute that Jesus gave himself. We give him all kinds of other attributes, all kinds of other names. I am meek and lowly at heart. Jesus aside, who was the most meek person that ever lived? Moses, you're exactly right. Now, Jesus is better than Moses. Moses brought the law, and the law condemns. Romans he, uh, chapter 8 says, what the law could not do because we were weakened in the flesh, Jesus had to do for us. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. The Bible tells us that when, G when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, and if you've been to the Lancaster Mennonite Information Center, they've got the model of, of the temple. What do they have tied around the high priest's leg? A rope. What does he need a rope for? Pull the dead body out if that guy is not, you know, up to snuff. Jesus didn't have a rope. He entered into the Holy of Holies in heaven. He says he's bringing his precious blood with him. Now, on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Those in my class, for a long time, this is a replay for you. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene 
And what did he tell Mary Magdalene? Touch me not for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Later that day, some other women meet him, and he says, come and worship, and they, they, they held his feet. What that tells me is either Jesus was kidding to Mary Magdalene, or he went to heaven and back. What was he doing going to heaven and back? Now, that word mediator, I, I rushed over it quickly, because they're not only, not only all there, they're also out of, out of order. Jesus became the mediator once he rose. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So people like Abraham, David, Daniel, all the personalities that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they were saved. They were in a holding place in paradise. Friday, Jesus dies. His body's in the tomb. His soul and spirit go into paradise. Easter Sunday morning, his body rises. He gathers all those people. Book of Ephesians says he leads captivity captive and gives gifts to men. So he's better than the high priest because he doesn't need a rope. He was without sin. And he has a new covenant. The old covenant was the Mosaic covenant. And it was a conditional covenant. It said, if you keep your nose, uh, if you keep your nose clean, you'll, you'll flourish. You read Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's an if and there's a but. If, you, if you're a good boy, dot, 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 but. If you're a bad boy, an if and but, back and forth and back and forth. There is, now no, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the punchline to Paul. At one point, Paul said that, that he's the chiefest of sinners. In Rome, Romans chapter 7, he says, you know, the, thing, the good things that I want to do, I somehow don't get around to do them, but the things that I don't want to do, that is what I do. He said, I of all men are most miserable, but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Am I righteous in and of myself? No. Isaiah tells us all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Where is my righteousness? It's in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be... At some point I'm going to retire Sunday school because I'm losing verses in my brain. So I'll just give you the warning, okay? Mount in the book of Hebrews, the phrase once for all is paramount in the book of Hebrews. Jesus died once for all. Jesus forgave once for all. Again, back to Romans chapter 8, the tail end, verses 35 through 39. It basically says, nothing shall separate me from the love which is in Christ Jesus. And you go through all those verses, nothing above, nothing below, including the devil, no other creature, considering my, including myself, is able to separate me from the love which is in Christ Jesus. Now, does that give me, well, I've got to get out of jail free card because I'm saved, but does that give me a license to go out and do whatever I want to do? 
No. Paul answered that in Romans. He said, what? Shall we sin then that grace might abound? God forbid. MIB. No way. And so we've just marched through, as t- in terms of an overview, all the way up to chapter 9. And chapter 10 talks about the covenant. The new covenant. When Jesus was with his disciples in the Last Supper, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The cup was a symbol of his blood. That new covenant came in and it responded to all the covenants that came first. To Adam, he said that uh, there'll be a baby born that's going to crush his head, crush that devil. To Abraham, he said, all nations will be blessed. To David, he said, that of your blood, there will be a a king that reigns forever. All these things are consummated when Jesus rose from the dead. So when you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where where Paul is defining what the word gospel means, the good news, the death and the burial and the resurrection, you can see how important that is because before Jesus swallowed that pill, he was made a little lower than the angels. When he rose, the Bible says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness. So chapter 10 talks about that covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. He said, I'll I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It has nothing to do where I am. If God seems to be distant, he didn't move. I was the one that moved. That new covenant continues on and what did Jesus prom- what did God promise Abraham? He promised him children, as many as the sands of the sea, as many as the stars in the sky. He promised him real estate. Now, the Jewish people have never occupied all the real estate that God promised. The broadest empire was under David, and it didn't go as far as the boundaries that God gave him. And up until 1948, A lot of people couldn't see how Israel was going to have a nation or a reality. And a lot of people started twisting and they're saying, well, if we're all Abraham's seed, maybe the promise is to us as Christians. Well, we're going to occupy that land. We'll rule and reign with him a thousand years. But that real estate belongs to Jews. In the book of Zechariah, the Bible says that 10 will hold on to the garment of a believing Jew will lead them to the throne room of Christ during those thousand years. The Bible says that if you die at the age of 100, you'll be considered a child. The notion there is you've got plenty of time and plenty of opportunity to become, I'm talking about that age, uh, Psalm 94 says that uh, three score and ten are, are my, my age and then I fly away. I'm going to be 70 this year and the clock is hitting midnight. In the millennial reign, these people have well over 100 years to receive Jesus. At the end of that reign, the Bible says Satan will be released for a season. And one of the saddest verses of scripture, he will deceive as many as the sands of the sea. And those people are going to march onto Jesus in the capital city in Jerusalem, besiege warfare. And the Bible says that fire will come out from heaven. And this is where that last portion of creation comes in. Fire will come up from heaven 
Peter says that the earth will be burned up with a fervent heat. Heaven and earth are spread away, and there's that great white throne judgment. Who will be the, the um, defendant at that point? The lost. The judgment seat is for saved people, and the question is, rewards or no rewards? The great white throne is for lost people, and the judgment is, this is going to be interesting, be judged according to their works. Now, what does that mean, judged according to your works? Well, you could say, heaven is heaven, and I'm glad to be here. But you take somebody like Paul, I'm convinced he was eligible for all five of those, uh, of those crowns. The book of Daniel tells us that the one, who who, the one who saves souls, who wins souls, he will reign, he will shine like a star in the heavenlies. That tells me there's different levels in heaven. What about hell? I'm a firm believer in child evangelism. We don't know what the age of accountability is. It changes person by person. I've often mentioned a good friend of mine who has a Down syndrome, and he, he became accountable age 28, and he was saved. What happens to that child that reached the age of accountability but never got saved? Now let's compare that with somebody like a, a Hitler or a Mao Zedong or a Joe Stalin that responsible for millions of deaths be judged according to their works. Who's doing the judging? Jesus Christ. Now that gets interesting because in the book of John he says, I judge no man. So what's the yardstick? The guy missed the grace, so what else is left? The things that we have heard. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What's the other half? The law. Be measured against the law. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else falls in place underneath that. It's not a question of grace for the great white throne because they missed the grace piece. It's a question of being judged according to the works. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 11 begins with, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I find my way to heaven, do I need faith? No. Because I'm going to see him, I'm going to be with him. Do I need hope? No. The Bible says, what's the, well, why are you hoping if you already received what you were hoping for? All that's going to be left is love. So Hebrews chapter 11 starts talking about many of our uh, heroes of the faith. And it mentions Abraham and Moses. It mentions Rahab and it mentions Daniel. And then it mentions some people that didn't have a real good experience here on earth. So pulling all that stuff together as a capstone, chapters 12 and 13 are exhortation chapters. They're saying, okay, you got all this Jesus is better stuff. Here comes the so what. Chapter 10 says, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting or encouraging as we see the time approaching. It's important 
to have fellowship with one another. We're supposed to be gathered together. The COVID thing was horrible. We had some great outside services, but I'll tell you, waving across the parking lot didn't make it for me. And I noted something, not this past week, but the week prior. It seemed like we were much closer. I'm talking physical. I know I gave Mary a hug. I gave Rosie a hug. I've got my vaccinations. I'm sure you've gotten yours, all right? Several months ago, I would not have done that. In fact, we're getting into the habit of, instead of shaking, you go like that, and if the other man opens his hand, then I open my hand. But if not, it's a fist bump. I've got a head cold, no fist bumping today. And also in chapter 13, part of the exhortation, I already quoted the verse, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, so that you do not have to fear what man, including self, may do unto you. In chapter 13, talks about be subject to your leaders. Listen to your leaders. They have something to say. You say, well, my pastor, he's, he's dull. My first pastor had so much arthritis that when he pointed his finger, he was pointing at everybody at the same time. His finger went like that. And he would preach, and he was not afraid to mention words like sin or hell. He was your stereotypical fire and brimstone preacher. It's exactly what I needed. He would talk about sin A, and I'd be sitting there convicted of sins B, C, D, all the way through the alphabet and more. Because your pastor is anointed. I'm gifted. I'm a teacher. That's, that's my gift from the Holy Spirit. But I'm not anointed. The pastor is anointed. The elders are anointed. If you're in one of those positions, you, you think totally differently and you behave totally differently. And so they're worthy of our honor. The Bible says that the laborer is worthy. See, I lost the verse. Still dazed. The point of the matter is, we're one family. We've all been saved by the glorious power of Jesus Christ and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians says, no man can say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit draws him. Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. We're family. We're redeemed. Now, this carcass is not yet redeemed. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Well, I've been redeemed, the soul and spirit part, but my body won't be redeemed until rapture time. Same crown, different timing, and unless there are questions, we're done. Questions or comments? Have a blessed day.